the bags and moved down to Florida. And I've been blue since she went and gone. And this Bowling Green Motel room is now my old Kentucky home. All right. So, uh, we got Tim Carley with us again. This is Tim's. Is this your second time or your third? My second time. Okay. I'm glad to have Tim. I don't. I don't mean to disparage other people who've been on the show, but Tim's one of the most fun people we have. On the show. He's got a lot of knowledge. <laughs> we're gonna get it. We're gonna get into all that too. We'll see. We'll see. And we're gonna talk tonight about some food plot stuff, um, which is that's in Tim's wheelhouse. So, but before we get into all that, something came up, and I and I sent it, Matt. I know you didn't get it, but I sent it to you yesterday. All right, since alligator season's coming up, we're going alligator hunting Friday. Mm-hmm. I saw this yesterday. There have been four fatal alligator attacks in the United States in the last 70, I said 75, 76 days. And Where were they? What, just the state? Uh, Three in there's Florida? There's been two. <laughs> no. I think most of us actually been in South Carolina. I think there's been one in Florida, one in Georgia, and two in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So, um, all in heavily populated areas. Yes, alligators that were humanized. Well, that's and that's what the that's what the article they talked about was urban growth and people probably feeding alligators. Mm-hmm. But the most recent one, it was, and, and most of this been older people. And I'm assuming they're out walking and get next to some water, and next thing you know, they're snatched in. So, but is what it's saying um the four deaths in a 76 day stretch is alarming because it far outpaces the historic ratio of death to alligator encounters so i don't know what the we could kind of go back to an episode where we were like why is there a limit on gators i mean humans have already shown if we want to kill something we'll kill so many of them that we can make them go extinct but we haven't done that with alligators and they're a nuisance that i don't you never hear somebody saying well, we bought this house and boy we're so lucky we have four gators in our backyard you know what i mean it's not <laughs> yeah. like deer <laughs> right but it's actually one of the hardest things to get a permit for at least in the state of mississippi to hunt yeah, yeah. and that, that's mind-blowing to me I, I i'm not saying that it should be unlimited i'm saying it should be an over-the-counter tag uh i agree i agree and i don't i don't know how we would do it you might would have to do it like louisiana does it with the uh what is it the the ownership of so much waterfront property it determines how many tags you can have yeah i mean um but then again if you do it that way that's not also you know that's not entirely fair either because how many people own waterfront property yeah <clears throat> but i'd be all for having an alligator season up i like i like hunting alligators no the 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 uh their commonness was not the case just 70 years ago. Like, they were an endangered species not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And right. so I think the last time I was here, I talked about the good scientists at, our, at the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. And those those guys are choosing to make their these systems that we go through to be able to alligator hunt are built at least in part out of the respect that this not long ago was a fragile species. This mm-hmm. is something that... And they're kind of just awesome, by the way. No, they're cool. I, I guess what I'm thinking is, you know, 70 years ago, the white-tailed deer was not prominent, really, here. And 
um, it's what thirty dollars to get a deer license. I don't. There's there's no double digit alligator permit. It's right. all it's triple digit or up. Right. So that's that's kind of what I was just wondering. So al- alligators, uh, but there's not as many as deer. I will. Th- there aren't as many as deer, and and uh, they don't reproduce as quick as quickly. They are, um, you know. There's a whitetail deer probably on William Carey's campus right now, mm-hmm. if I were guessing. They're, they're better not. Actually, yes. Absolutely. That's that, that, right. You put that camera out. The amount of habitat. What? I said you put that camera out. <laughs> camera. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> the amount of habitat that it, – I'm not being argumentative, but the, but the ability of uh, whitetail deer to thrive anywhere – is mm-hmm. remarkable alligators yeah. are just a they're gonna have to have water and what's mississippi i think i've read it's like three and a half percent water yeah. mississippi's size yeah anyway thought we'd bring that up all right one more thing for food plot stuff okay velvet season i know we've beat it to death lately but i'm pretty happy about it no i, I know i know and and i'm i'm on the fence about whether or not I'm happy or if I think it's a bad idea or not. What is your take, Tim? Uh, my, my take is that it is going to be so miserably, uncomfortably hot <laughs> that I will likely not, not participate. Not participate. No, I mean, the places where I hunt, like there's a, there's a muzzleloader season in Kansas that picks up you know, it's a September muzzleloader season, and there's opportunity to kill. I think deer and velvet are awesome, but if I'm gonna shoot a deer in Kansas, I want it to be a hardened off rack. You know, right. in Mississippi, I don't know. It's just so. Why, why do you feel that way about a deer in Kansas? You want it to be a no velvet. Um, because it's just prototypical deer. Like when you when you think about a a when I envision a like we're talking like sixth graders i like it yeah yeah when i when i when i envision killing a big deer it just it's not in velvet it i don't know why like you know think about like there's the wyoming has a velvet season of course south carolina has a velvet season there are lots of other states that have velvet seasons um no i i i I totally get what you're saying because i'm the same way like but i want the opportunity to to try it See, like in no, I, I hunted I, in Tennessee, and I, you probably can't even call it a velvet season. It's just that bow season opens on September first, or like Labor Day weekend is when yeah. it starts. Well, they're in velvet, yeah. but that's just actually when bow season starts. It doesn't shut off. So I've just never had an opportunity other than there, and I didn't kill one. But I, I would like the opportunity. I think I'm not as excited about it because I don't have unlimited taxidermy resources. Mm-hmm. I mean, my wife is not going to let me just go mount everything that I shoot. So you freeze it. <laughs> just <laughs> I mean, have a freezer dedicated to <laughs> velvet deer. Yeah. So now I've got to go buy another freezer. Is what you're saying? So I can hunt. It's cheaper than a mount. <laughs> it, it, it probably yeah. It no, it's be. not probably. No, is. it definitely would be. You're right. But I just don't think that I would shoot a deer in velvet just to say I've killed one in velvet. Unless it was really big. No, yeah, I'm going to hunt mature deer. Yeah. I'm going to hunt. I mean, I say that. We had a conversation off there earlier of a three-and-a-half-year-old buck that he's uh, he's getting smoke show if I get a shot at him. <laughs> but uh, outside of that, he's going to be the youngest one. 
Um, but I, I see where people can be concerned about it. But uh, I'd be more concerned of a deer season that runs from October 1st to February 15th in the state. I mean, that is a long time. Well, there's not one that runs from October 1st to February 15th. In the state of Mississippi, you're hunting from October you 1st. You can hunt in the state, but there's no one place in the state. That's true. Okay. That's what I'm October 1st to January 31st. We That's have probably true. the longest hunting season in the United States. One of the longest hunting seasons. I think it would have to be. Wouldn't yeah. it? Alabama's got to be right there, too. I don't know the answer to that. I, I'm, I'll do some fact-checking in a minute. I don't know, like Illinois. How long is rifle season? Like 72 hours. So I killed, <laughs> when, I was in, when I was in graduate school at Mississippi State, I killed a deer with my bow. Velvet uh, in Startville that was was still in velvet ish. That's cool though. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, Brandon's killed one in velvet a couple of years yeah. ago. It was, I mean, it was a big deer. It may have been last year. It was mm-hmm. a nice buck. It was still almost fully in velvet. It had started the shedding process, but it had not shed. Long. Isn't it incredible how much biomass they produce in such a short? I mean, you know, it's just remarkable. I can remember when I learned as a kid, like that they shed their antlers and grew them back every year or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it's not like they start growing them the moment they shed them. Like this is something that happens relatively quickly, and it's an enormous. If you had anything on your body that grew that quickly, it would be horrifying. <laughs> and on and, July first <laughs> is when it gets out of control. Maybe <laughs> stop. <laughs> no, seriously. On July first, it gets out of control because they'll just be like these nubs growing. And you're like, well, I'm seeing a little bit of a rack. And then you'll go from like July 1st to July 15th. You're like, that's an eight point. He went from, he was just barely forked, you know. It's just really cool to see. And how, 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 those, how those antlers know how to grow, right? This, mm-hmm. the, 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 not, of course, they're not carbon copies, but from year to year, similarities show up in racks. We know that. And how it is that the genetic code cast off, they cast off a set of antlers, and then the next year they grow something similar. Sometimes it's bigger. It's just all remarkable to me. Now, I read something the other day, and, and both of you guys will know more about this than I do, that the reason for the, the, them shedding their antlers and then, and then growing a new set was it's obviously testosterone levels, but the testosterone levels were controlled by sunlight. Photoperiod, yeah. Okay. So that was accurate that I read then, I guess. Well, I've always, I mean, that's what I was taught. That, that yeah. yeah and that's why what you were talking about, that just freak period where they just really takes off, it makes sense because those are the longest days of the year that we have as far as sunlight. Well, it's an incredible thing. And, of course, elk do the same thing, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, inc- it's remarkable to me. Yeah. So you're, are you are you in favor of the velvet season happening, even if you don't participate? Do you think it's a good idea? I don't have a strong opinion about it. I mean, as long as they don't – as long as it – I can't remember everything we talked about the last time I was here. I, you know, I'd be in favor of a two-buck limit. I mean, I, I, if right. anything, I would go – as long as they don't just make it – Well, now, that was one of the things that, that we have talked about on here was – the thing that I'm a little apprehensive about with it is it's pretty easy to pattern a buck right now, especially if you're putting out feed. And Matt, I think you even made the comment that you felt like there'd be a lot of big bucks dropped that weekend. If the, There'll be a percentage of big bucks dropped, in my opinion, versus, say, like October 30th. Yeah. Absolutely. The two easiest times to pattern him, in my opinion, to get, well, to pattern him to a food source right. is right now, soon. Yeah. And then the rut, 
we don't know what's going to happen, but they're going to be on their feet. Right. So, this is anecdotal evidence, but I, I wonder if it will be harder to kill. Let's, let's suppose we have 10 velvet seasons in, in Mississippi. We'll probably have more than that. But this year will be probably more difficult because of how much rainfall we've had, especially here in South Mississippi. So even if you are feeding, there's still so much available food. Yeah. Like, yes. I was telling my wife, I remember when you were growing sunflowers for doves, I can remember planting sunflowers and getting two rains on them the summer. Yeah. And, I mean, we've got an inch rain today, we've got an inch rain yesterday. Yeah. Like, I'm a forester, you can't log, it's just wet, wet, wet. But for deer, this is a great go of it, right? Because mm-hmm. there's so much. Especially the new mom. Rel- relative relative to what an, in a normal August yeah. and September, it, it looks like this is going to be a really groovy time for mm-hmm. whitetails. And, and like where I hunt, beans will not be harvested, and we have a lot of beans around the property I hunt. They won't be up yet. Well, it's going to be too wet right now, but I think they're usually towards the end of September. So you'll be able to, you'll be able, I mean, the well, that, I think that, that hurt, I think that hurts because yeah. when the bean fields are cleared and they've had a week to you know, sour and eat whatever's left, then you start getting them in your woods a lot more. But right. when they can go out at night and eat all the beans they want to eat, it's a little different. Okay. Well, it's really good for them though. Yeah. It's awesome to have it nearby. And with all the rain and all the good food source and browse that they have now, I could be wrong. Uh, that should, I know we talked about the. Uh, the buck's potential being largely due in part to the mother's health when she had it would that this time seems like it would be a bunch of good start this is a a real good year year to be born yeah that's Mm -hmm. what i was wondering yeah you know we were talking about the heat of velvet season because i've said the same thing i'm going to have I'm going to look like pagers on me, but they're thermocells so that, I can, so that I can handle it. But, you know, we were at the Pine Belt Sportsman Banquet last night, and a guest, you know the guy, like a, one of the guys came through and he talked to you. He made the best comment ever. He goes, it is going to be hot. He goes, but you think it ain't going to be hot on October 1st? And I was like, it's a pretty good point. It's only two weeks, you know. <laughs> I was like, it's going to be scorching then too, I'm sure. I've, I've hunted opening day of archery season before when it was 90 degrees. And I've hunted it when it was nice. You Two know? years ago, it was 47 one yeah. morning because I remember because I killed one. That was, yeah. yeah, 2020. I haven't killed a deer on opening day of archery season. I think, it may, been the, I think it may have been the second, yeah. but it was right there. It was the like first 40. Week, we live in Mississippi. It's hot on Halloween sometimes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, yeah. A couple of years ago, I froze to death on Halloween. And then two weeks later, I was hunting at our place with a rifle in shorts. <laughs> Hey, nothing. There is nothing. I remember the old lacrosse burleys, the green lacrosse burleys, yeah. shorts and lacrosse burleys. That yeah. is a solid, solid. This is a little bit dated. It's seven years old, but back to my fact checking. Virginia has the longest season. Urban archery season runs from September 6th to March 28th. March the 28th. 27 weeks. In other words, more than half the year. Well, it's like 53% of the year or something. Honestly, Mississippi, hunt. South Mississippi could adopt a similar schedule and be okay because I've seen bucks. It was bucks, archery only. Yeah, I've seen bucks chasing does across the highway here in the middle of March. Way more than one time. I don't know if I've ever seen them chasing that late, but I've seen plenty of rack bucks turkey hunting. Yeah. I almost hit one this year coming up here. Did you have any luck break. this year? Turkey hunting? Yeah. I didn't hunt in Mississippi. I hunted in Kansas. Did you have some luck? I did. I drove out and <laughs> twenty killed. minutes later. No, I killed him in the afternoon. I hunted. I didn't kill him. I didn't kill him in the morning. I killed him in the afternoon and came was, home the next day. I was, yeah. I was back by breakfast the day after I left. 
Well, that's awesome. We did not. We uh, we tried, but we had no luck. Uh, when you say we, I went one time. Like, yeah. legitimately went hunting one time, and we heard a bunch of birds, but couldn't get one to come I in. I did have three hens from me to you right behind me, and I didn't know it until I went like this. <laughs> Whoops. So, I, you know, when you live on a place and you see turkeys all the time, it just kind of changed my, you know, they're, the, the turkeys that we see right there around the house every day, I don't, I mean, and it's, it's that way with turkeys. It's not that way with deer. Like, there's a deer last year that was visible at my house on camera, and I would have enjoyed taking that deer had I had the chance. I never saw him in daylight hours, you know, around the house right there. But the turkeys, for some reason, like, I listen to them gobble around the house, and I, you know. Okay. Before we get into food plots, this will be the last one we can do. But I have a legit question here. I'm sure there's no evidence for it. But I just, it's got to be pressure. I feel like South Mississippi bucks are got to be some of the hardest to kill anywhere. Let me say that because I know people that move to North Alabama. Places don't have as much pressure on them. And they're videoing bucks in their yard. Oh, he's almost like a pet. I don't know a single person in South Mississippi <laughs> that has a pet buck that will come out of the woods and he's comfortable enough around a human to just hang out in their yard. Do y'all? Like, I'm talking about a, a rack buck. Yeah. You do? Okay, that's impressive. I don't know many. In, in, in our neighborhood. Really? Yeah. Well, that's good. Because, you know... For you, now, but that was before but we you know moved. When you I go, knew, if you I knew vacation. that was happening in our neighborhood mm-hmm. before we moved into our neighborhood. Now okay. I live in our neighborhood. Uh-oh. <laughs> His days are numbered. <laughs> Velvet season, we know where Ben's going to be. Same guy that told me, you know, that I've seen the, the pictures that they've posted online about the deer in their yard or whatever, told me maybe two, three weeks ago that he still has a turkey goblin behind his house mm-hmm. all the time right now. He mm-hmm. said, man, I can walk outside and honk my horn and <laughs> fires right up. You almost gobbled. I wanted you to gobble. I almost did. Ball. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get into some food plot talk. It's mm-hmm. that time of the year. Well, it's almost. It's almost that time of the year. So this is a good time to do this. Now, you sent me a list of things for us to talk about because you're way more ver- well-versed in this and than I am. I can't speak for Matt. but More well-versed than me. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, my experience planting food plots has always been uh kind of after we go alligator hunting and dove hunting we disc everything up and throw wheat and ryegrass and clover out and triple 13 and then fertilize it and specifically triple 13 and hope for rain right right so i know there's way more of a science to it than that and i don't understand any of it i'd like to kind of take us into that hit it from hit it from the top I bet he starts with a pH test. <laughs> so, so people plant food plots. Most people that plant food plots are planting food plots to concentrate animals. They're what you just described, Ben, is a scenario where hunting season is getting here, and so the goal is to see deer when you're hunting. And one way that you do that is to provide a food source, and you try to be at that food source at the same time that the deer are, and that's probably why most people plant food plots and it's an important it's in this it's a great hobby it um i'm count myself in the group that enjoys doing it and and i enjoy you know farming the the, the you know whether it's corn or sunflowers or 
clover. I enjoy all of it. Yeah. The there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more to be that can be done than just scratching the ground and throwing seed out and and some fertilizer. There's there's lots of science that's readily available to people about you know soil suitability and you know there are places in our state where you can grow some things and there are places where you can't grow other things and we all watch hunting television and the newest greatest you know forb is available and you run out and try to grow alfalfa in hancock county mississippi and it just doesn't work (laughs) out but um there's just a there's a lot of information uh and and i would say that to, to you or to me or to anybody who's growing food plots, make good decisions about what you plant. Uh, there's there's a lot more out there than just, you know, ryegrass. All right. When you're saying make good decisions about what you plant, how do I decide what I should plant? Well, the first question would be what's the purpose of the food plot? So, like I said, most, most food plots that are planted in Mississippi, I would uh, – suggest are, are planted as shooter plots like they they're they're want to be you know the goal is to get deer to come in there in the right. daylight hours but then for me especially around my house it's so visible i enjoy keeping good food available year round and that's a totally different set of plants we're talking about soil suitability is probably the next thing uh, what kind of soil do I have available? And even on a given property, there are lots of different types of soils. Some food plot species simply won't perform on some soils. So there's not just one. There's not one bag of seed that's that's going to work everywhere. Yeah. Uh, available sunlight, topography, how you know how sloping are my soil? You know those kind of things. Um, and then from and then from there, getting a game plan together, deciding what you're going to plant where. And like I just mentioned, there may be I'm not on a lease or on a farm that somebody has. There may be several different species that are grown in in different food plots because of soils or you know soil drainage or things like that. What's the what's the best way for me to determine what the best? Just say all right. Here's a scenario. I'm, I bought a new lease or a new piece of property. I want to do some food plots for deer season. I have no idea what's going to grow best here because I've never hunted this place. I've never farmed it before. I pick a couple spots that I think are good areas for food plots. How do I decide what do I plan in those areas as far as testing it to see what's going to be the best crop I can grow for deer? Well, from an just a, a first stab for me would be to go to um, the online soil survey that's available and, and go find that place and read about the soils that the United States Geological Service thinks are there. They're very often correct. And then uh, you can, on that website, you can click on that particular soil and, and you'll be told quite a bit about it. What it and, and one of the things will be uh, what are... In, in the description of the soil, there'll, there'll be uses. Uh, and if they're very often farmed, then you probably are working with a soil that, that can grow lots of good stuff. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there are soils that uh, are not very productive for agriculture. 
that could be because of poor drainage, that could be because of excess drainage, that could be because they're too steep. Uh, and then, th- you know, those are soils that some, some you just can't put a food plot on. But even some that are flat are, you know, you're going you to rule out even trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if you, soil drainage would be the, the first thing. Is this something that drains well? Can I grow cereal grains on it? Like, like so if we're talking about, about wintertime food plots, well-drained soils with, with reasonable fertility, that's, that's, you can grow just about, just about anything you want to. Okay. Is there a way to, now I've heard about pH testing soils and stuff, and I know we've done it out here on our on our baseball field to see what we needed to put on to get our grass to do better and things like that. If I were wanting to test my pH levels in my soil, what's the, what's the process for doing that? Go to, uh, you, you can, I think you can order them online or you can go to a feed many of these like co-ops or feed stores and they'll give you a soil sample box and you go out and systematically there's a way there's a correct way to do it you get a soil sample and for a few dollars the soil lab will send you an incredibly helpful document that among other things will tell you what the soil ph is on average of that sample area where you collected soil and soil ph is um the reason that soil pH is so important is because it directly affects a given plant's ability to access the nutrients that are present. Soil pH, it, you know, we live in Mississippi. With the exception of the Mississippi Delta and the Black Prairie, we, we are a very acidic soil state. Almost all farm soils outside of those two areas, the Del- Mississippi Delta and even parts of the Delta, and the Black Belt require... Uh, liming to get soil pH up above six, which is kind of the the, the magic number in literature and science. At, at, at a pH above six, there's a broad availability of nutrients to plants. Mm-hmm. You can have very fertile acidic soils that plants, because of the acidity, can't gain access through the physiology, just the, the systems of the plant, they can't gain access to those nutrients that exist. And so I've read this before. I've, it's, it's, it's so much more bang for your buck to lime a place, like you hunt in Hines County or Warren County. or So very fertile soils, especially on the, in, in the western and the northern part of Hines County, soil pH is between five and six. It's, it is so much cheaper to lime a place and get the available native fertility available to those plants than it is to have to literally over-fertilize to get enough nutrients available to the plants as a percentage of nutrients that the plant can, can access. We just we did lime at ours, and it'll save you a ton of money in fertilizer sometimes because we have one plot that said it needed 30 pounds of fertilizer an acre really and that's that's very little yeah. you know what i mean that's, yeah. that's and it was a specific fertilizer by just this one you only need 30 pounds for that acre and okay. i was like well that's going to save us a ton of money right there <laughs> most uh it's been my experience that most most food plots that are planted year after year after year with no soil testing uh they and somebody finally and goes get and gets a soil test this is what they find is that there's plenty of phosphorus and potassium present mm-hmm. 
but there's not enough you go nitrogen leaches very quickly taken up by plants very quickly so uh, you know and I don't know why this is I, I know why it is because the writers of these articles know that most people aren't going to go through the trouble of getting a, a, a soil sample but you'll read it'll say like a fertilized based on a soil sample or 300 pounds per acre of triple 13 you know fertilized based on a soil sample or 200 pounds of O2020 if you're growing mm-hmm. clover or whatever but that's just really like I've never had a soil sample and gotten it back and they said you need 300 pounds per acre of triple 13. Yeah, they'll never say it. <laughs> now, when you talk about liming it, when do you do that? Like when's, so that? we were a little late doing it, but we ordered it earlier, but it was just by the time they got out there. I've, Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, I've heard March, April, May, that time frame, you want to get it in the ground three months before for it to really have an effect. Well, this was wondering, like, how far but ahead even Even three months, it. the effect is minimal. I mean, but I... Yeah, do, it takes two or three years, really. I, ideally... Liming would be a systematic process that you keep the pH at a certain level through repeated applications. And again, this is very common. What people do is they go get a soil sample. The pH is 4.75. You need two tons per acre of lime. They lime it, and then six years later, they've done nothing. And if you pull a soil sample, the pH is 4.75. So this is it, this is a. I mean, on these on these soils where we live and work in Mississippi, liming needs to be a systematic. Uh, is, maintenance. Is, is there something else you can do other than lime? Like say, say the only time you usually plant is is winter winter cover crops. Um, is there something you could plant during the spring and summer that would help? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. And when you get those soil samples back, at least ours, I think it was from Mississippi State. They say on there this is a three year prescription. Like, if we tell you to put a ton of lime per acre, that's this year, that's next year, and that's the next year. But he was saying that happens a lot where people, they go do it that first year, and they're like, well, we limed. (laughs) Soil didn't change. Well, they told you to do that three times. Oh, and lots of people, and like, how many times have, you know, you hear these stories about folks that lime, you know, Labor Day and plant, your, your soil pH, if you test it in December, will be barely moved. Barely moved, yeah. Yeah. So it just needs time to, to get yeah. in there. Yep. Let's uh let's take a break and we'll come back and talk some more about this. I'm Travis T. Bone Turner, co-host of Bone Collector and a proud member of Whitetails Unlimited. Do you have buck fever? You can ease the pain by holding or attending a Whitetails banquet in your neck of the woods. These action-packed events offer great food and prizes, guns galore, and so much more. 50 cents out of every net dollar raised is spent on projects in your hometown. Go to our website to find events and a field director for your area. Get started today and find a cure for that old buck fever. And oh, Lord, it makes me smile. Why, Bill, your sauce makes my baby hot. You know that son, this sauce really hits the spot. So grab your chicken, shrimp, boiled eggs, pizza, or a big poke chop. I'm gonna need that bag. Why, Bill? Your sauce makes my baby hot. Put your bills on it. Go check out Wild Bill's Sauce on Instagram or on the web at wildbillsauce.com. If you'll enter the promo code CAMO, you'll get 25% off your purchase. 
Once again, that's wildbillsauce.com, promo code CAMO. Need office supplies? Need business cards, envelopes, letterhead, or printed forms? Need an office chair, desk, or file cabinet? Call Wayne or Daniel Ross at Commercial Stationery Company. They've been servicing the Pine Belt area for over 35 years. They offer free next-day delivery, free installation on furniture, and great customer service. Call them today and get set up for quick and easy online ordering. Shop local and give back to your community. Call Commercial Stationery at 601-582-4311. All right, so we've talked about different soil stuff that's way over my head. <clears throat> let's, t- keep, let's talk a little bit more about soil. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> it's like my favorite thing in the world. So um, soil is a combination of many, many things. It's, it's often called dirt, but that's really not a fair thing to call it. That's what I call it, Tim. I like the word dirt. I like the smell of dirt, but but soil uh, is made up of minerals, and so that could be gravel on the big end or clay on you know clay and clay and gravel are the same thing; they're just different sizes. And then in between you have sand and then silt, you know. And then there's organic matter, and then there's uh, and that can be living or decomposed or stable. And then there's air, and then there's water, and Soils are, are amazing to me because they really are, not to be cliche, the foundation for everything that exists on, on that site. The animals that can live there because of the plants that live there, the type trees that grow there, the the way that even as a forester, the way fire acts, the way, I mean, it's it's really, in a sense, it's it's the most important thing you can understand about a piece of property is what, because the soil will limit very often what you can and can't do and um, mississippi is not blessed in some areas with the most fertile soils they're no they're not worse than fertile soils i mean like longleaf pine trees are remarkable but they don't grow on fertile sites um, well, it goes back to what you're saying that the soil makes is is the reason for what grows there right. so you know if, if we had a different kind of soil where we live here in in the pine belt We'd have a different kind of tree. I bet our pine trees are in a little bit of shock right now. With what? They've oh, had rain for like rain. 10 straight days. They're probably like, can this stop? what I'm not <laughs> designed for. I'm a forester. The trees that I've my, – my summer thinning package has had rain, it, felt, it seems to me, like for the last 70 days. That's what yeah, it Yeah, and you like. know the trees are – they just that's not what they're used to. Well, I stick around long enough. We'll have a drought for a month and a half. Oh, absolutely. September. As soon as I put seed in the ground, it's gone. I mean, yeah. it's, it won't rain a month. But <laughs> – when you're thinking about where you're going to hunt, you know where do you want to own land, where do you want to plant food plots on that land? It's really a de- you're making a soils decision. That's right. really what you're making. Yeah, it's a soils decision. I've never thought of it that way, but you're right. So here in Mississippi, but, fertility is often associated with bottom lands. Yeah, because those are the youngest, most fertile. Those are those alluvial. Yeah, soils. Those new soils that are highly oxygenated, lots of organic matter, that kind of thing. Well, I know when we till it up, you know, if we're doing food plots down close to the river, the soil is just really black, really dark. I get up in the hills, and it's sandier, it's more clay. When I started hunting in Kansas, where I hunt in Kansas is in the Arkansas River Valley part of Kansas, which is Unit 16 around Pratt. And it's sand dunes. 
Mm-hmm. And here in Mississippi, sandy soils are associated with infertility. And I can remember, and I still get teased about it some, you know, I'm looking around and I'm like, can you grow a big deer in this sand? I mean, it's like a beach. Okay. And if you put water on that sand, it'll grow 200 bushel corn. It'll, I mean, it's incredibly fertile. But it's so, it's so, it's it's very interesting to me that it, the most fertile soils of the Midwest are prairie soils that get less rainfall than we get here. They get, you know, they they're not in bottom lands. They're on upland habitats. Mm-hmm. And, and they're in that magic category of soils that have had just generation after generation after generation of grass roots and grass foliage composting on top of them. And the A horizon, that, that first part of the soil where most of the plant activity is, is just unthinkably fertile. They're called mollusols. And it's the, it's, the, it's the prairie system in the United States. Hugely important for farming, hugely important for deer hunting. Yeah. We hadn't hit this yet. You mentioned earlier, you're talking about, all right, most food plot stuff that we do down here is with the intent of hunting it, having a food source for deer. What what else would you do food plots for? Uh, amending habitat, making making a year-long place where, where food is made available in stress periods where, you know, deer are going to – deer don't just – I used to imagine if I planted the right kind of food plot, like the deer would just go lay down and then stand up and come eat my food plot and then go back to bed. And, you know, there's been, there's some really neat science out there about, you know, even in just how many different varieties of food that, that a deer consumes, even if they have access to incredible food sources, they're, they're, they're samplers to be, to be sure. Um, but, but I, Thinking of food plots as a part of the landscape year-round is is the... And and that's what I was about to ask you about, because I've always thought, and have never done it, but I've always thought as a hunter that it would be incredibly advantageous to have plots all year. You know, something to hold your deer there, or all of your wildlife. I know I, I, we had Preston Pittman on a while back talked about what to plant for turkeys. And I didn't have I didn't have an idea you planted anything for turkeys. I thought you just got out of the truck and who'd like an owl. And if you heard one, you went hunting him. If you didn't, you didn't. But. Okay, so turkeys are a good example. So, based on the time of the year and the age of the turkey, they need a different type of habitat. So, for instance, clovers very important for turkeys. High insect loads, bugging habitat, just the way that they're built make it. I mean, it's just really really good turkey habitat in the springtime. Um, those same clovers for white-tailed deer, they're consumed heavily in the springtime. But in years like this, the white clovers, like I know of several clover, white clover fields that look phenomenal. It's August. Yeah. And deer, this is a time that would I mean, this is not, this is in most years, this is a stress period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Everything's woody. It's not soft. And, and, and in years like this where soil moisture is available, even on somewhat well-drained soils, they're moist enough to, to have clover still in a healthy state growing on them. And those deer are just pounding them. Yeah. And what about on dry years? I mean, is that is there? 
So there, yeah, right now it goes. It, it's clover's good because of the moisture. What do I plant in anticipation for it being dry? All right. Potentially. So, so, so the white clovers. Let's let's just choose white clovers as a as an example. Okay. Uh, they're a great plant. Uh, because they grow so well on poorly drained soils. So they, you can have success growing white clover on well-drained soils. But if you were picking a soil to grow the very best white clover you could grow, it would be a somewhat poorly drained or edging toward poorly drained soil. Can't pond. I mean, we're not talking about anything like that. We're not. It's not standing water. It's not a bog. Mm-hmm. But these are soils. You know what they look like. They're the ones. They're the ones that, in the summertime, uh, if you're if you're bush hogging, the tractor tire sinks a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, even it, even if it hadn't rained in five Good days. Gumbo clay. <laughs> gumbo clay is a great place to grow white clover, but I hate gumbo clay because <laughs> <laughs> you can't. You get it all over everything. And it's still all over everything. Yeah. Pressure washer. I mean, yeah. you know, you can't get it off. So those same soils, when it gets dry because of the particle size of the soil and just the, the parent material of the soils, there are different reasons, they, in droughty seasons like we often have, will still have available moisture much later than the upland soils that are, that, that, um, I'm sorry, the sandy soils that, that are very often great for growing other things, but not white clover. Mm-hmm. And, and so... On a mosaic, on a property that was treated like a mosaic, you could have a really good clover field in many years, midway through the summer, even later. And this is an exceptional year. I mean, this is really unusual. But I know lots of guys on the right soils who have white clover year-round, even in dry years. But it's because they made the right soil decision. They put that clover and have managed it and established it on soils that those clovers want to be on. Mm -hmm. Different for red clovers, different for wheat, different for, you know. Well, that's that's what I was about about to say, too, is because I think that most deer hunters that you you encounter, the general consensus is going to be, yeah, we're going to diss this land up and we're going to throw ryegrass out of it. And, I mean, <laughs> dude, ryegrass will grow out there in the parking lot. Absolutely. It grows in the bed of your truck. It, yes, it does. I mean, like I can remember, I guess it was last year, year before, just taking ryegrass back and forth to the, to the tractor. And three months later, I'm cleaning mud out from under my four-wheeler, and I got ryegrass growing under the in that little, what is it, the little plate deal under yeah, the four-wheeler? Yeah, it's, it's not a bad food for deer. It's just a lot less nutritious than some other ones and the only thing i've never understood about it once i read about it and figured this out is expensive versus yeah. stuff that's way better for the deer it's gotten really well, expensive the last two years I mean, it's like what 35 to 50 a so, bag right so now? ryegrass right uh the the uh, romance of ryegrass has uh waxed and waned over the years so so when i was a kid that's what you planted oh because it's yeah. yeah and by the way I, I gotta say i don't care what else you plant Nothing gets makes a pretty food plot quicker than ryegrass. You can oh, be like, yeah. oh, look at that thing. Two weeks later, no rain. Two weeks later, it's off. <laughs> it's offering them like three percent nutrition. But <laughs> so, <laughs> ryegrass. Uh, I think I, I think you're I think ryegrass is actually a pretty palatable and nutritious food, especially early in its life. Mm-hmm. It changes very much as it matures. And, but here's the reason that I don't plant ryegrass is because it's an incredible reseeder. And so 
if you ever plant ryegrass and you refuse to use herbicides, you've got ryegrass forever. Right. And it outcompetes some stuff that I want to grow. So, if, mm-hmm. like, if you want to grow clovers, and I keep on going back, but if you want to grow clovers, which, you know, are a perennial, they receive, or some clovers are perennials, mm-hmm. ryegrass is, is a rough companion. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have to use chemicals to eliminate it. But having said that, there are soils, there are places, there are times where I, I, don't, I don't think – I mean, I know it's not in vogue, but I don't think ryegrass is horrible. I think it's horrible if you're trying to grow it as a partner to just about anything else. No, it's not. It's not horrible. I, I just, I've never understood it as far as the sense of the cost of it. You're saying for me. You, you're saying you can get something different for mm-hmm. you around get, the you same can get, price. You can get mixes yeah. for cheaper or, you know, for the same or cheaper. And they might have some in there but usually they're going to have things like wheat that's going to be their number one ingredient well i know this wheat's cheap too i've planted <laughs> clover and wheat and i don't know maybe a couple other things mixed in a bag and hunted all day and didn't see any deer and then the farmer next to us planted ryegrass <laughs> a thousand acres of ryegrass for his cows and then i'm coming out of the woods and there's 47 deer in the in the field right there yeah and i didn't see any deer so, <laughs> like maybe we should just plant a ryegrass I, I, uh, when landowners ask me, and I'm not a wildlife biologist, I just I get my opinion asked sometimes. But if if I just had to pick the mix that like most people, it would be wheat, oats, and red clover. And the red clover, as a soil uh, builder, as much as I mean, I, I think deer browse it, of course, but it's not as preferred as some of the other clovers. But it's so easy to grow, and it's such good turkey habitat in the spring. It's cheaper than white clovers, and and uh, um, especially if you especially if you use the appropriate amount of seed. Like yeah, a lot of people don't know it's inoculated. <laughs> they, they, but they also they also <laughs> imagine that like well I'm gonna put out I'm gonna put out a, a bushel of you know half a bushel of wheat and a half a bushel of oats and a half a bushel of clover seed when you, you just put out enough clover seed to plant. Forest County. Twenty. <laughs> well, I had ne- I had never planted clover until a few years ago well, with the guys I hunted. I with. wanted him to address this. A lot of people don't understand there are certain seeds that have protecting cover. What all, what all is it? So on when that? I was when I was younger, when I was a young man, mm-hmm. we inoculated our seed, and so you you bought the inoculant, you put all your seed, all your your legumes, your, your the clover, yep. in a vat of some kind. You poured a diet cola on them. You put the inoculant on. You stirred it with a boat paddle. And then you spread it. I only buy, and I, and I, I, it'd be a lot to say that I've even compared cost. Pre-inoculated seed is all that I. Oh yeah, that's all I would buy. What I was going to get you to address though is, I think some of the hunting public doesn't understand though that if someone told them they need fifty pounds of seed for this for all their food plots of say red red clover, they'll go buy one fifty-pound bag and think I have fifty pounds of seed, and I'm like. "Mm." You got like thirty pounds of seed, maybe, because it's inoculated. It has a coating on it. That's not that's not seed matter that you're buying. And it, the inoculant weighs more than the seed. I mean, it's oh it's yeah. So the, you may only be getting fifteen pounds of seed. A lot of people don't re- realize that. Well, I was going to say you buy that, that stuff. I had never planted red clover before until a couple of years ago. It does well. And like I, we had like a forty pound bag of it, and we had our winter wheat and peas and stuff, and we had peas. All- where do you grow peas? Winter peas, Austrian winter peas. Where do you grow them? I have no. What do you mean? Do they work? 
Have you had success with him? I don't know what came of it. It was green. That was a, he was leading you into that. He I've was going to say it's not going to I've never made well. it work. I've gotten excited about them, and I've never made them. So work. don't. So, so you're I'm, saying I'm gonna go, I'm gonna cautious go, of those. I'm going to go out and say that it didn't work because when it all came up, it all looked the same to me, other than the clover. <laughs> so anyway, we've got this mixed bag or whatever stuff in the spreader, and we're like, hey, we need to put some clover in there, and I grabbed this. 40 pound bag of clover and start pouring it in they look at me like i'm crazy like dude just get a handful out and put it in there <laughs> <laughs> two to three pounds per acre of white clover eight to ten pounds per acre of yeah, red. red clover i mean yeah. it's just a it's a tiny seed it's a tiny yeah. tiny seed but you got to do your math but i'm gonna tell you if, this because you think you're putting two pounds in and if it's inocu- pre-inoculated right you got to factor that right. in because yeah the weight of the coating but i'm gonna tell you guys this we planted that food plot and the clover came up decent during deer season, I guess. I went back during turkey season. It was everywhere. And it was the most beautiful red clover field you've ever mm-hmm. seen in your life. And yep. there is, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to be. And there were no turkeys in it. <laughs> it's hard to, it is hard to beat a, a full bloom April red clover oh, field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really pretty. The, I mean, right down the highways in Mississippi, there's some pretty awesome looking clover stands on field dirt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You said dirt. Feel soil. <laughs> he didn't say dirt. That's pretty good. <laughs> it was derogatory. I was making fun of poor soil. Okay. Poor soil, you called. Okay, dirt. in Mississippi, what are you planting? What soil do you hunt in Mississippi? I hunt in Hines County on the on White Oak Creek, which is a relatively okay soil. It's okay, not as good as it gets, but it's. What are some of your go-tos to plant? You said wheat, oats, red clover. White clover. White clover. Okay. Red and white clover. Oh, both. Okay, yeah. But the the white clover is what, I mean, that's... How do you pronounce the Ladino, Ladino? That's one of them. That's a variety. Yeah. Ladino, Louisiana, S1, Durana. Okay. Durana clover is important because it's a white clover, and I've grown it... In Kapai County, on pretty sandy soils, on the Pearl on the Pearl River floodplain, and it's done well. Durana is a it's a more drought tolerant white clover. It's okay. not like you can't grow it on a beach, but yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. As far as sunlight, what kind of sunlight does that have to have to grow that? Uh, six to eight hours would be a minimum per day. Yeah, clover's a full sunlight. Right. right. So, in horticultural terms, when when something needs full sunlight, you're it's you know eight hours yeah. a day. What what's something that you can grow in good? I don't even want to say good soil because good soil in a shaded area, low sunlight, little something with low. something with low sun. I mean, something with low sun that's going to get low sunlight. Progress. So it depends. <laughs> Progress. It depends on what's causing the shade. So. Uh, white oaks right, or red so, oaks red right, there oaks. you go so that probably will not be shady in December it'll be mm-hmm. filtered sunlight in December and so you can get away with uh, the, the the sunlight is probably when you're planting that in October it's probably shaded and it will not be nearly that shaded two months later right how will it do early in the season I don't know I just don't want to ever plant anything in the shade. <laughs> That's a good answer. Got to cut some trees down. We're That's a good I'm a answer. We should just, <laughs> just cut the tree down. 
All right, so if you had your one plant for deer, white I'm gonna, clover. I was going to say you're going to say white clover. White clover. What Just, about you? White clover or – I'm not. I'm going to be lying if I tell you I knew exactly which variety they were, but it was some kind of tubular plant, turnip, something we had in a mix. Man, I would look out this shooting house, and they'd have this whole thing they'd pull up out of the ground, and they were loving it. They were killing them. They were mostly white and yellow in color. The plants were white and yellow? No, or the, the blooms? The, the, the tube in the dirt. You know, it grew like a whole, looks like a carrot almost. But I don't know what variety it was. So that was some brassica. And the, yeah, it and was. The whitetail, the whitetail marketing machine has done an incredible job of convincing people that, and I won't say any brands, because they're all great people, I'm sure. That, but that, that this seed brand is better. Listen. I don't even know what it was either. That's the sad thing. But I boy, have, it was a good I have grown no name, scoop it out of a galvanized garbage can seeds you know go to the co-op red top turnips scoop it you know plant them and there's not much prettier than a deer tearing off a leaf and they i love it when they tear off a leaf as big as a sheet of paper and they look up and as they chew it it just disappears into their mouth yeah it's like a shredder <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i was fixing that similar like, setup with what i was talking about what's that stuff that and i don't even know what it is you, you turn on a television show a hunting show and there's deer out in the field, and whatever they're eating is up to their bellies. What was that? It's big leafy plants, and is it Biologic? You can't say name brands on the air. What is, is that a name Biologic brand? Biologic is a name brand. It's a name, name brand. They, they, market, they market quite a few brassicas. That, well, that's that is that big. brassicas? It that, could be brassicas that, that you so were that, That's the whole at. category of kale, turnips, cabbage. collards. Right. Okay. Yeah. That, and and uh, okay, that made me think of something else. What is I've heard guys talk about rape. What is rape? And I'm not talking it's a part, about it's from a, the. Not, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about the plant. It's <laughs> a. Uh, is it not a brassica? I've I think never it, grown it. I think it's a brassica. Never grown it. I don't know. I've, I've heard guys talk about it, but I don't know what it is. So we. Uh, I think they actually thought about experimenting with it on our place a couple of years ago. I don't. I just guess we didn't ever do it. All right, so Ben, is 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 the typical thing y'all, y'all go up and bush hog your food plots, and then disc your food plots, and then plant your food plots, or wait a few weeks and disc them again, and then plant your food plots? We sprayed them, See, and, and and I don't know anything about any of that, and I'm going to say something that you probably shouldn't ever say. I just know to do that because that's the way we always did it. <laughs> so that, like they they would spray them, they would spray them out, or bush hog them, spray them out disc it up and then wait a while i don't know like how long should you wait before you do that before you plant i don't man i, I don't even know the there's no telling how many gallons of diesel fuel and hours could be saved if everybody if every deer hunting camp had a hundred gallon sprayer on the back of a tractor that's pto driven with a 16 foot boom and sometime in the middle of july if one guy would go up there and spray all the food plots with with glyphosate round yeah. up mm-hmm. yeah and then if nothing else it makes bush hogging it a snap, and the and, and it's and and after it's bush hogged, so much easier on the machine, goes so much more quickly. Yeah. And but discs discs so, so much better, much better. And then uh, they burn some off sometimes too. Yeah, we did a dove field this year, and uh, I bush hogged it, and the guy they were kind of wondering like, when are we going to disc it? Uh, 
No, it was actually this was just done because it was going to be one that was done with just one sowing of wheat. Right. Tune into that. So we released this week. <laughs> I don't like that, but uh, it's hard to kill doves when you do that. But before oh. I, when I cut oh, it, before, before I ever dissed it, I, I, I sprayed it, let it sit for like a week or ten days. <laughs> yeah. He got into it with the game wardens. I did not. We didn't really get into it, but he was like probing game wardens last night about the dog regulations. I was like, probing him. I was like, I can feed deer unlimited amounts of corn that is broadcast on the ground. Migratory game birds. Or I know. It's a federal thing. I know. I, and I know, but it's been 104 years since we looked at it. Maybe we should look back at it. <laughs> it's the, it wasn't in the 1918 Act or something like that? Oh, I think about it. Like, Passenger pigeons, have y'all ever read about them? No. No. So the, 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 when, when North America was um, populated by, by Anglos, we, there was a, just far more numerous than any bird than you, that you and I have ever experienced. And they, they lived in the upper Midwest. They were a dove that lived in forested areas. And, and uh, they were a pigeon that lived in forest areas. We killed every one of them. Yeah. The, the, you probably in elementary school learned about the last one that died in a zoo, I think, in Cincinnati right. or something like that. I read something not too long ago about it. But. It's incredible what humans can mess up. Oh, yeah. But, but um, so on the wheat thing, I don't. I, would you ask a game more than this? Let's say I've got. Oh, who will <clears> ask you <throat> tomorrow? <laughs> so, uh, of, of course, you can only. Uh, the only legal way to do it is to sow wheat one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in years like this, like really, you're hunting over six inch tall wheat ten days later, right? I mean, it exactly. rains every single day. Exactly. So I understand. I understand the concept of the laws. I understand, you know, the the premise of the laws. Would it be legal if you had, let's say, you had a a ten acre field that was a perfect square? Can you disc one third of the field? And sow it, and then a few days later, disc another third of the field and sow it, and then a few days later. So let's suppose no seed overlapped. Yeah. So when I was sowing the adjacent strip, I didn't let any seed get onto what had already been sown. Is, have I broken the law, or have I? I, th- I think by letter of the law, you probably, if it's the same field, because it's not a, a, it's not broken up by a tree line or something. You see what I'm saying? It's not. It's not it's, ag- normal agricultural practice. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. that exactly. So the this is all. This was my thing, and I'm a big duck hunter. I don't think you should be able to bait ducks by pouring corn out. But guess what? Three to four percent of the state of Mississippi is water. That leaves 96, 97 percent for doves. Yeah. <laughs> it is really, really hard. Yeah, hard it is to legally, if you don't plant and you just disc and sow wheat. You know, hard it is to have. A, so you talked about how field. expensive ryegrass is. Do you know how much cheaper it is to, to plant to grow millet than it is to bait with wheat? How much cheaper it is? Oof. Well, mm, I don't know. Wheat's about eleven dollars a bag, and this is like a one-acre field, so you can only put a bag in three quarters. <laughs> Because you've counted. <laughs> I've done 90 that. pounds an acre. Yeah. So, I mean, literally, I only have like $18 a seed in. Now, the herbicide did cost me a decent amount. You know, that's not necessarily the cheapest Herbicides thing. Herbicides are so expensive. Yeah. Right but literally, legally, I could only put like $20 worth of wheat on it. Well, I, if, if, you, if you were to go buy a bag of brown top millet and plant that. It is you, better. And the tonnage of seed that's made available is just exponentially greater 
and over a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. And you can mow it in strips and then burn those strips. And, and it's just a better path. So this episode's coming out a week after the one that we just did. But all I was talking about was if you don't own farm equipment, it is almost impossible to dove hunt in the state of Mississippi without doing the 10-day one-time sow. Because, I mean, how many hunters can just go, well, let me go get all my stuff and go plant? Yeah. Because maybe I'm wrong. Can you plant brown top millet right on top of the ground, or does the ground have to be broken? I would think it has to be broken. Uh, no, brown top millet is, uh, like ryegrass, it'll grow lots of places. Oh, that's cool. But, hold on. That is good. I, I've <laughs> never, nor would I ever advise, I mean, scratch the ground and mm-hmm. before you plant it. Which which is your in your opinion better? And we'll get right back to deer food plots: sunflowers, brown top millet. Is there another one you can grow for doves? Some people grow corn. Some people. Oh yeah, yeah. Sesame, right? So that's the that's the, listen. Google it. Sesame for doves, and and people grow sesame for, for okay, doves. Okay, I like it's that. kind of a fad. Yeah. Uh, so your best experience. The best experience I've ever had would be. So you got to use herbicides, but but it would be using a herbicide called called Spartan, and a herbicide called Dual Magnum, play, uh, sprayed prior to planting sunflowers or immediately, like the same day afterward, and growing sunflowers, and then uh, systematically beginning to bush hog those in strips. And when it works, in my experience, nothing compares. Yeah. Plus, it's so much fun to hunt sunflowers because it's like you just sit like it's kind of hiding them. It's oh, it's incredible. It's I'm, incredible. I'm, I'm it's hard to hide in a bag of cracked corn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably allergic to sunflower plant. You go through me sneezing. I grew I grew uh, I grew five acres of sunflowers in Lamar oh, County, Mississippi, out of my parents' place many many years ago. It was beautiful. The herbicides worked. Got rain when I needed or whatever, and and uh, you know it was just an epic. An epic, epic dove hunt, and, yeah. then, and then you've got a side hustle too. Anybody and everybody wants to come take pictures in your field of sunflowers. There it is. That's true. And people love a sunflower field. Let me tell you, is sunflowers are they more expensive to grow than millet? Absolutely. Okay, I didn't know. <laughs> I just, so I need to factor that in. The two chemicals that you, I mean, you're you're not growing sunflowers. You, I, look, I I drive all over the southern and western part of the state all the time right now you can find people that tried to grow sunflowers tried to broadcast them they tried to not use herbicides and they weeds right and 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 doves if nothing else have to have bare ground Mm -hmm. to feed on they don't scratch nope uh so the herbicides are so important in growing sunflowers because in the dream don't if you're just growing sunflowers now if you'd ask me what the best dove field is it's going to be everything we've talked about it's going to be it's going to be bare ground with wheat scattered on top of it legally it's going to be sunflowers it's going to be millet all in the same all in the same field but when sunflowers are grown and the and the timing of the rain in association with the herbicides work those pre-emergent herbicides do their job you end up on the opening day of dove season with bare ground and nothing coming out of it basically but sunflower stems and, and it's about to get wild. And those, <laughs> yeah. and it's just the I, the doves will light on the heads and peck the seeds out. Of course, and and then other songbirds, you know, agitate the heads and seeds fall on the ground. And those doves just, it's just perfect. Uh, predators aren't successful in in sunflowers. Mm-hmm. 
hogs. To, to give the conservation officer plenty of credit, he, he recognized <laughs> where the weather was. When I was talking to him about this, he goes, if it's not egregious, they're not going to get you. And I was thinking, I was like, did he just tell me I could read this guy without <laughs> another bag? But, I mean, like you said, you, no one has a dry wheat seed in the state of Mississippi right now that's on the ground. If you put it out in the last 24 hours, I think the whole state got rain today. Yeah. So everything's germinating. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But in, in dove season, also, like it's just this. It's just like the. It's like the changing of the guard. Like it's. Oh yeah. It, hunting season is here. Football season is here. Mm-hmm. Cooler weather is around the corner. That's kind of how I've looked at alligator season. I haven't been dove hunting in like four or five years. Oh man, I'd rather dove hunt any day than go after an alligator. Back to deer food pots. We got to finish this one up. I was done. You were done. I'm yeah. trying to think if I had well, any the, more well, questions. The only, the only other thing that I thought about is when you guys were talking about dove hunting. Radishes, by the way, that's what we had. Okay, I've heard of Korean radishes. There's big marketing. They, on, like you can find picture of these enormous roots that aerate the soil, grow them on compacted soil, and they mm-hmm. break up the soil and do all this magic stuff. I wonder if it's true. And this, what I was going to say, doesn't have anything to do with soil. Well, I guess it does, but it doesn't. Could I grow? All right, as far as hunting over corn in Mississippi, I don't even know what the law is now. Is it? So many yards away from you. I think it's like 100 yards. If you grow the corn? No, if you put it out. Oh, I don't know. It's like 100 yards. And it has to be a broadcast feeder. I think. Right. What if I grew corn and then bush hogged it? Totally you can do legal. that. I could sit in the middle of the field. Totally and do that. Totally legal. That's what I thought. And it's because that's kind of the same thing with migratory birds, as long as it's farming practice. So, again, corn, I mean, that's, if you grow a good stand of corn as a food plot, you've got to farm. I mean, yeah. you, you do not right. plant corn in April and just leave it alone and no, show you, back you've got to ir- your corn. You have to irrigate it. No, right? you don't have to irrigate it, but you do. You do have to. I mean, it's it's got to be fertilized twice. Yeah. Once at planting, and then and then a nitrogen application later, typically, uh, and then. So what you're saying, if I, if I got grow to a, use herbicides, yeah, if I grow a nice stand of corn, I'm not going to want to hunt over it. I'm going to want to harvest it. If no. you grow a nice stand of corn. You've got more corn available to deer than you have bought in the last five years. Really? Of, I mean, yeah. again, I mean, just if you grow a terrible stand of corn and it's sixty bushels an acre, do you know how much how much corn sixty bushels is? So I mean, it's, a bushel like fifty six pounds. It's a of corn it's, or something. Uh, that's like three thousand pounds. It's more than a ton of corn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's more than a ton. Yeah, it's, that would that would be more than. And I in good, but but you know in. Like on years like this, if 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 you gotta know what a bushel is. In years like this, there's there's just a whole bunch of corn that's being grown that's gonna be 140, 50, 60 bushels of corn. Fifty six pounds. Before we go, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Do you do any type of supplemental feeding where you hunt? No. Okay. Oh, in Kansas, yes. Okay, but not in Mississippi. No. No, the only time I, the only time that I use uh, in association with deer hunting, and I know that you don't like game cameras, but I didn't say game. One type of game camera. <laughs> <laughs> I like going and checking the camera, pulling the card. You don't like the cell cameras, correct? I Let's think, don't go there. No, I think it. I think it's. I think it's awesome when 13 hours away I get a picture of a deer. I'm trying to no, think that. that's awesome. No, th- I get hours. that, but I think there's – my whole argument about it is there's definitely a way to abuse it. 
You gotta let me tell Tim what I told you though. What? <laughs> he went and put out his SD card only cameras. Is what he told me. <laughs> and that's the category. But look, he texted me and I said, "Couldn't you just wrote that in a letter and mailed it to me?" Because <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna show him technology. Yeah. Let's go all the way. <laughs> but I'm just giving him a hard time. Wow. Uh, Tim, so, man, thanks for coming in. It's a bunch of fun. It's raining. Yeah. Well, it's August. Shock, shocker. It's supposed to be a dry month, too, August and September. Well, we say. haven't had a hurricane yet, though. So, you know, usually we've had some kind of tropical storm or something by now. Am I correct or incorrect that when they – the Storm Prediction Center, like, they always – it seems like the last decade it's going to be a horrible year. Like oh, it's, it's gloom and doom every year. There's going to be n- – 14 named storms and three of them are going to be major and one of them is going to be worse than Katrina. Like this is what you hear. What was the one last year? I had to buy a generator like coming home from the deer uh, yeah. camp and I took it back in the yeah. box with the receipt. I can top you. I did it twice. <laughs> oh, yeah. I went to Lowe's and bought a generator and returned it because the storm like changed. Right. I remember uh, one year. It was this time of the year. I can't remember exactly. It was it was uh, right before alligators or right at the beginning of alligator season. It was. I was coming back from the alligator hunt. What date was Katrina? The that 28th, was eighth, August twenty eighth, two thousand five. Somewhere around there. We're getting close. It's a week. Yeah. That was awful. It was. We could do a Katrina. We could do a Katrina episode. I don't want to do that. You don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to relive that. No, it wasn't that much fun. I love. I love telling people that don't live anywhere around the coast, like that. You know, the inconveniences of a snowstorm or the inconvenience. I'm like, come on. Yeah. Like, really, all our trees got blown down. Like, <laughs> yeah. My parents didn't have power for weeks on the end. Right. I lost my apartment. I had a tornado <laughs> rip my apartment now. <laughs> Tell me about your snowstorm. That's limp-wristed weather. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Tim, man, I enjoyed it as always. Uh, anytime you can come, please come. It's always more fun when you're here. So, you got anything else tonight, Matt? I do not. All right. Till next time. Thanks. While you're scrolling through Facebook, check out Mr. Nice Guy Food Truck and Catering. Also, a special thank you to Jason Justice of Orange Beach, Alabama. Who provides all of the music for the Pinstripes Camo podcast?